This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Ronald A. Wilford, who was once classical music's biggest power broker, died on Saturday in Manhattan at the age of 87. Wilford was an artist manager of the old school, wielding major control over the business but keeping a very low profile. In 50 years at Columbia Artists Management, he was the power behind the thrones occupied by James Levine, Ricardo Muti, Kurt Mazur, Seiji Ozawa, and Herbert von Karajan. With his powerful client roster, Wilford was able to call the shots and to secure bookings for lesser-known artists in exchange for one of his A-listers. But the classical music business has changed dramatically since Wilford's glory days, and so has the role of the artist manager. To get some perspective on this today, we're joined in the studio by Bill Pallant, the founder and managing director of Etude Arts, a new artist management agency. He was previously a vice president of IMG Artists. And on the phone from Rhode Island is David Middleton, a managing partner at Alliance Artists Management. He once worked for Wilford's management company. Bill, is it possible these days for a single artist manager to control what audiences see and hear as much as Ronald Wilford did? I don't think so. I think the industry has changed significantly since he started and transformed or was involved in the transformation of the industry. When you talk about where he began in the the 1950s, you think about how people traveled between opera companies and symphonies, how performers, performers, how performers, conductors, directors, the fact that there was not the accessibility to media. At that time, it was the radio. Maybe if you were lucky, you had an LP, right. And the fact that during the course of his reign at CAMI and within the music uh, industry at large, there was this tremendous, tremendous, unprecedented evolution of how people get their music. And and get from point A to point B. And get from point A to point B. And that's both the audience and the actual performer. So I think that he was at the right place at the right time and was able to steer a very unique ship from the old world style school of artist management to something much more contemporary and uh, technologically based that we now reap the rewards of his management and the investment that Cami has made. David, do you agree? Yes, I do. You know, again, as you mentioned, my career began at Cami back in the early 90s. You know, of course, Mr. Wolford was there uh, up on the fifth floor. I, I rarely ventured up that high in the building. But, yeah, it was very different times back then where you did get a sense that the CAMI and IMG, ICM, kind of were the leaders and kind of held sway over the entire industry. And things are, of course, very different now with, you know, the openings of, of more boutique-type agencies. You know, of course, Bill has made the leap, and, you know, I made the leap myself uh, with a business partner, Rob Robbins, back about eight years ago when we uh, opened Alliance Artist Management. But, yeah, the, you know, the model... Of I guess kind of the empresario, you know, maybe those days are gone at this point, and having been taken place by smaller agencies that you know offer a different type of attention and have a different client base and so on. A lot of people credit Ronald Wilford for being the first manager to literally guide artists' careers instead of just booking gigs for them. Would both of you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, again, it's a very different model, you know, that that he kind of created in that. There was much more hands-on, you know, as far as recordings go, uh, career development and so on. It does feel that things have turned more to, you know, simply booking place, but 
I still kind of value that model in where the manager has more of a hands-on approach with their ensembles. And I think that that's an interesting point because uh, one of the facets of his management style was his ability to manipulate or shape the programming of an organization. Uh, if, as you said earlier, if you want my conductor, you have to take a particular soloist that is the choice of the conductor who also happens to be my client. Uh, and I think that the fact that he was managing, guiding, influencing, shaping, however you want to call it, all of the above, the organizations that were under the podium of Seiji Ozawa, Sir Carlin Davis, James Levine, uh, Kurt Mazur, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and that's just the conductors, never mind the pianists and the singers and the violinists and the cellists and the community attractions. I think that he had the benefit of being in a position really to shape and drive programming globally. Is that sort of thing still done today? You take my conductor, you must take this soloist too? My experience when I was working at IMG Artists was that uh, there was a much more respectful relationship between the artist management company and the music director. And so I, the philosophy where I used to work was was one where you could certainly make proposals, but it was not the kind of thing where it was a, pro, a quid pro quo where you would say to the orchestra, you know, my conductor's coming and he or she wants uh, this quartet for a Beethoven Ninth Symphony. I think back in the, the days when I was at Cami, there, there was a sense of a little bit of heavy-handedness um, in that if you did want this orchestra, or if you did want this artist, then you also have to bring this orchestra or bring this artist. And, you know, maybe that that kind of control wasn't felt so uh, well in the music industry, you know, particularly on the presenting side. Um, you know, if they had to accomplish a certain programming goal, they were kind of forced into a place maybe that they didn't want to be in order to get something uh, that they did want. So how did Ronald Wilford manage to get the lion's share of great conductors on his roster? Was it his ability to negotiate fees for them, or was he sort of a conductor whisperer? <laughs> I think it's. I think it was both. I mean, with, with, with one great conductor, then comes another conductor, and another great orchestra, when they see what great work is happening on behalf of Orchestra A, then, of course, Orchestra B is going to be interested. And so you kind of just create a stable that way. If you have the reputation of being able to deliver for those conductors and those orchestras, others will follow. I think that one of the other key things that I want to emphasize is the people that were on the staff of CAMI and the legions of top-name artist managers that Mr. Wilford hired and worked with him and for him. It's a veritable who's who of the business. They may not all work for CAMI today. However, when you look around and survey the international music scene, there are very few of us who did not have time at Cami. I, I, I never uh, was an employee there, but everyone from Nellie Walter to Andrea Anson to Jack Mastroianni and Alec Troyhoff and Michael Benjatrid and Matthew Epstein, and, uh, you know, it, it's really a long, long, long list. So I think that sure, he, sure. not only was he able to assemble a, a roster of the world's finest artists, but he also had under his influence the roster or a roster of some of the most powerful and influential artist managers. So he was clearly good at recruiting great people who wanted to be managers. What about recruiting artists? 
I think that in in my experience, there is a respect that we all have for each other where we try not to poach artists, if at all possible, particularly if it's if it's from a manager that one respects and, and uh, collaborates with on a positive level. I think that, you know, we all keep in mind that we are working for ourselves or working for the institution that, that is paying us. But on the whole, the idea of poaching an, an artist that is from another company's roster is rather unsavory. I think that the the more productive way to go about it for someone who's established is that they hear about what you're doing. And that if they reach out to you, then it's fair play. But in terms of poaching, I wouldn't, uh, I, I don't think that there are a lot of us that are on the, uh, the, the, the good witches of the business that are going to go out and steal clients. So David, you guys must go to a lot of competitions. How do you decide who you're going to take on your roster? Funny, you know, actually, in the world that I'm working in right now, it's uh, essentially entirely ensemble-driven, uh, chamber ensembles, orchestras, etc. I, I don't work with soloists, singers, conductors, uh, pianists, etc. I don't work with soloists that way. So I actually kind of avoid the competition world. Discovering a young ensemble, finding and building the career of a young string quartet is perhaps one of the most difficult things you can do because there are so many good ones out there and uh, you know such diversity and, and excellence in what they do. So finding the one that somehow sets themselves apart from the rest is, is kind of key to their success. And, and how do you build a string quartet career? That would seem like a difficult thing. Again, you know, um, if I could use an example, when I first started Alliance Arts Management, we had the very young Calder string quartet with us, and we brought them to, to this company. And at the time, you know, they were amongst again, dozens of young 20-something string quartets, and they grew by, you know, a lot of just their own talent and their own their own intuition about composers that were coming along that they were able to seek commissions from and, you know, a lot of guidance from us in those ways. You know, when, when you're bringing in a young string quartet like that, it really is generally an investment, unless, of course, you go the competition route. And, you know, the Calders didn't do that, but they built a career in a special way by becoming so diverse in what they do that they really set themselves apart as a somewhat different model in the string quartet world. Bill, how do you recruit new artists? I think that there are a couple of methods. One is that if they hear that I'm doing something uh, exciting, they will seek me out. But in terms of the recruiting, it could be the travels that I make uh, all the time going to young artist programs or speaking at conservatories around North America. It could be the competitions. I tend not to approach people doing, uh, during competitions, I tend to be much more productive when I go and visit conservatories or young artist programs. Do you ever have to let somebody go from your roster? Yes. And? It's not fun. Why would that be? Because the manager is invested in the artist the same way the artist is usually invested in the manager. And it's a relationship, and it's, it's a kind of breaking up with someone. There are lots of reasons why an artist manager would decide to part ways with an artist. could be a disagreement about the career. It could be financial. It could be that they're not profitable. It could be that uh, it's, it's a, a myriad of reasons. But it's not a fun conversation to do, 
British music writer Norman Labrecht has been famously a longtime critic of Ronald Wilford, and he just wrote that Columbia Artists, Cammy Wilford's agency, has been in slow decline as, quote, young conductors have taken their talents elsewhere. And he also suggested that the same thing is true for IMG. That's the agency you just left, Bill. What is your reaction to that? I'm going to choose not to comment. David, you are in a position to comment if you'd like. Well, again, you know, having essentially zero experience working directly with conductors, I can't really speak to that. Um, is Cami in a slow decline? I don't know. I mean, they're always going to have a powerful name in the business. I think that I wouldn't say decline, but perhaps evolution is a better way to put it. Just you know, focusing on in different areas and making things work in a different way. Bill, you may not be able to answer this one either, but you are the latest in a string of managers to leave IMG over the past couple of years. IMG started out managing sports stars. Are they still committed to classical musicians? Absolutely. I think that the pillars of IMG artists remain and continue to thrive as classical music. I think that what's exciting about what IMG is doing is it's trying to pull classical music into the 21st century and to expand audiences and to react to a changing climate. I think that anybody in this business that thinks that the business can be or should be done the way it had been in the 1950s or the 1970s or the 1990s or the early 2000s has got their head in the sand. And I think that one of the things that a vibrant artist management company needs to do is to be flexible, nimble, creative, proactive, and to build, not to rely on old models that are outdated. And these days, crossover artists and pops and attractions are possibly more attractive to audiences. How much of those kinds of things are now paying the bills for big agencies? I think that they are paying a lot of the bills for all agencies, big and small, because one should not ignore the fact that there are independent or boutique management companies that manage one or two people in this quote-unquote crossover world, and it is that person or that attraction that floats the entire operation of his or her management company. So the bottom line question, I guess, is, is the age of the big agency over, and these days it's more about a personal relationship, and that's why more and more people are turning to boutique agencies? You know, again, this reason I, you know, came into this own company, uh, this smaller company, was just having gone from my early career at Cami, where there are 200 employees, down to essentially four at this point, I definitely have evolved to a place where I feel, as an artist manager, more comfortable. You know, again, I've, I also migrated out of New York City, where, you know, the norm was like you worked in a building with all your colleagues in Cubicle in New York City. But I now live at my, you know, up in, on coastal Rhode Island, and I get to look out onto woods and, and fields, and, you know, I'm, I'm eight minutes from the water, so I've chosen a lifestyle that, that suits me in addition to the profession that suits me. And Bill, you've just made the jump to being a boutique agency within this month. Same question for you. Well, I think that uh, part of it was realizing that I had a great nearly 19 years at IMG Artists, and uh, it was time to spread my wings and do something the way I wanted to do it and to practice a kind of artist management that was reflective of the principles that first attracted me to the business. 
which is not to say that I wasn't practicing those when I was at IMG. However, I wanted to offer my client base a more proactive, nimble, flexible service, and I wanted to be having fun. And no one ever gets into the arts to become rich. You get into the arts to make a difference, to enjoy, and to feel fulfilled. And so I took the plunge and haven't looked back. Well, thank you very much. Thank you both for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Bill Pallant is the founder and managing director of Etude Arts, a new artist management agency. David Middleton is a managing partner at Alliance Artists Management. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening. 